Hi, welcome to Valley Talk. I'm your host, Heather Stark, and with me we have a very special guest tonight, Treasurer Dwayne Davidson, our state treasurer. Thank Thank you you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Well, this is exciting because I must say it was probably six or eight months ago I heard you do an interview, and it piqued my interest, and so I'm going to ask you some questions based on that earlier interview. But first, you have a local connection here. Oh, very much so. Well, this is hometown. Tell us about that. Oh, well, actually, uh, we'll go all the way back. Uh, My uh, great-grandfather was actually, uh, I've been told, the last recorded homestead uh, between Duval and Monroe. They called them land patents. And uh, so we go uh, quite a ways back. Uh, some of my uh, ancestors on my paternal side were actually here before statehood. And then uh, others have followed uh, later. Uh, have a, a long history right here in Carnation, where the, uh, the Davidson family has uh, uh, operated a, a small sawmill out south of uh, town for a while. I grew up uh, uh, working on dairy farms. Some of my family was involved in dairying and logging. Uh, I grew up uh, working on dairy farms, even worked at Carnation Farms for mm-hmm. a few years. Actually had a desire to become a dairy farmer, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, those thoughts kind of started to fade away because dairying was uh, disappearing from the valley and uh, you know there were so many operating dairy farms at that time and for various reasons uh, they've all uh, disappeared mostly have moved over uh, east mountains Mm -hmm. and so um, so uh, I had to find a different uh, profession so so you had to pick a second best and and you went for accounting yeah and so I went to accounting (laughs) I was always good with numbers and I loved numbers and so I uh, went to uh eventually to Central Washington University mm-hmm. and uh, uh, took accounting and uh, was eventually able to obtain my CPA certificate. Met my wife uh, in uh, intermediate accounting uh, and the two of us uh, uh, later married. And because she was an Eastern Washingtonian, that uh, made uh, my career start off in uh, Eastern Washington. We raised uh, three children in Kennewick, Washington, where I uh, later, um, went to work for the state auditor's office. After working for a CPA firm uh, for a while, I went to work for the state auditor's office. That had me auditing local governments. Um, and that's when I become kind of interested in government. I was always a voter and always kind of interested in politics, but not to the degree that I was until I got that job as an auditor. Mm-hmm. Then it, that really piqued my interest, and I thought, you know, wow. I Wait think a minute, I, why? Why? Well, I thought, true? I could do a better job than some of these people. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I said, I should run for office. <laughs> there you go. And I think and I think I was complaining about somebody once, and one of my fellow auditors was probably getting sick and tired of hearing me complain about it and said, if you think you could do a better job, why don't you run for office? And so I did. And I was rather amazed that I won because I had a really formidable opponent, actually at two, and uh, uh, ex-mayor of one of the Tri-Cities. And so um, uh, that led to what uh, became a four-term career as the Benton County Treasurer in Benton County, which is uh, a part of the Tri-Cities. And uh, uh, it became really rather interesting. It, I, I was able to serve as a president of the County Treasurers Association. So the 39 county treasurers, I represented the other 38 in matters of uh, county issues, uh, property tax issues and, and such. And so even though it was way over there in Benton County, I was getting over here to Olympia quite a bit and caught the eye of some people that were in key political positions like uh uh, former Secretary of State uh, Sam Reed and uh, Ralph Monroe and current Secretary of State uh, Kim Wyman, uh, former Governor Dan Evans, and others who recruited me to uh, run for uh, 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 state treasurer. Mm-hmm. They said, we think you have the qualification to be a good state treasurer. I told them nothing doing. I uh, <laughs> wasn't interested at all. I said, uh, I kind of uh, li- uh, uh, love life here in the uh, Tri-Cities, mm-hmm. uh, leave me alone, and uh, <laughs> don't talk about it anymore. But they kept twisting my arm, and so finally, uh, I knew trying to sell my wife on the idea of moving to Olympia uh, was uh, was going to be kind of a long shot. She was an Eastern Washingtonian, uh, uh, and uh, I finally convinced her that maybe this was uh, 
So, well, for, what I did is I convinced her I didn't have much of a chance of winning. That's what it all was. <laughs> uh, I just had to do it for the uh, uh, party to throw in my uh, my hat into the ring, and um, and so there I was uh, in the campaign, and uh, it became a very, very, very interesting campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, almost immediately, I got quite a bit of support, which I really. Uh, appreciated from others and the campaign seemed to be going well and then a tragedy hit at home and i uh, lost my wife unexpectedly oh i'm so sorry and um so i went back home and uh told my family that i would be uh, uh pulling out of the uh, race and i procrastinated on most things i do and i procrastinated of sending that uh, letter into the uh, uh uh to the folks that i was withdrawing my uh, uh my candidacy and uh it was a friday and i drove into my house at kennewick and pulled into the street and there was my three uh children's uh cars parked outside of my house uninvited so i knew something was up <laughs> and yeah there's nothing like your adult children yeah yeah when they yeah, when yeah. they come home uninvited something's <laughs> up they they have some kind of uh, Agenda. plan that yeah, yeah. They, they have some plan that need financing for them, <laughs> and so I went upstairs to see what awaited me, and it was kind of an intervention, if you will, and they kind of uh, they they convinced me that I should put my big boy pants on and get back into the race, mm-hmm. and or, or not uh, not withdraw from the race, and then my youngest daughter, I have two daughters and a son, and my youngest daughter was just graduating from high school. She was 17 years old, and she was graduating from Southridge High School just a couple weeks after her mom's passing. And uh, and it was during this time frame that this meeting was occurring. And she said, Dad, I got an interesting proposition for you. I think this would be good for both of us. If you stay in the race, I would like to be your campaign manager. Oh, wow. And I said, um, Father instincts kicked in immediately, <laughs> and I said, "Oh, I don't know, you know." Uh, you got to protect her from yeah, that. Yeah, got to protect her yeah. from you know the statewide treasure. Treasure is a down ballot race from like the governor or something mm-hmm. like that, but it still is a statewide race. And hey, can't I, get I ran for school board once. Yeah. Those people can be vicious, isn't it true? <laughs> oh my god! And that, exactly, and that's yeah. what was really kicking in me. I said, you know. So we're a praying family, and uh, I knew that we'd have breakfast Saturday morning tradition. We'd have breakfast in the morning. So I, I told her, I said, I, I pray about it um, and think about it. And when I um, left, uh, my daughter said, remember, Dad, you've told us girls that girls can do anything boys can do, so pray on that. Ooh, and I, I think I, I'd like her. <laughs> and so, now, did she have her little finger extended while she was doing that and doing that wrap bed around it motion? And she all? was because yeah. it because I, there wasn't. It was pretty much decided at that point, but I w- let it go till the morning. And yeah. so, I came up and said, "Okay, if you are uh, if you're uh, for this, uh, let's uh, let's do it." And uh, she was delighted. Smile came upon her face, and then she pulled out her phone and. Googled how to be a campaign manager because she had no idea. <laughs> and uh, the rest was history. And yeah, she pretty much did. She she convinced me at that mo- uh, moment. But uh, so uh, I basically uh, said, let's do it. And uh, she was delighted. And in short order, uh, she was giving speeches on my behalf to large groups of people uh, at that young age that uh, with confidence to where I had, well, it was actually a gubernatorial candidate uh, at the time, became kind of friends with Grace. And uh, and he came up uh, uh, to her and said, uh, or he came up to me and said, I've heard Grace speak on your behalf on a couple of occasions and she's really good. And I said, well, I'm not there to hear her, uh, but that's what I've heard, so I'll take your word for it. And he says, I've heard you on a few occasions, and you should have her speak more. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, burn. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so I did. And uh, and, So is she still in uh, that field? Did she make a career out of that? No, she. but I think that it may be in her future. She seems to, of my three children, she is the one that likes politics the most. I think that she may do some political. She's helping out with, uh, I'll be up for re-election this year, and I think she's going to be helping out the campaign. Well, I know she is to some degree, probably social media or some sure. part of it yeah. um uh, she's uh, kind of uh, 
gonna, she has an active interest in that. I think of the three kids, she's going to be the one that will pick up that uh, yeah. uh, mantle the most. She seems to like that. Yeah. Uh, both, uh, 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 I knew my three kids were destined to do that. They, they all paged mm-hmm. in the legislature. My wife was, uh, my late wife was a also mm-hmm. elected official. She ran for the hospital board in yeah. uh Kennewick, Washington, and so my poor kids didn't have a chance. So of your three children, she's the one, you think they're all going to have some finger in the pot of politics? Oh, they, li- they, like, they like politics. My oldest yeah. daughter uh, constantly sends me little things she sees on the internet. She's very, very politically minded. Mm-hmm. My son uh, is too. They, they, they have a, uh, both my, uh, my uh, oldest daughter is married in her and her husband and my son and uh um, and uh, his wife uh, both live in Tri-Cities. And Grace, the one that was really involved in my campaign, she now lives in Duval. So she's here. Oh, that's uh, the daughter. At your your um, communications director, Adam, told me that you had a daughter around yeah, here. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So she's she's here. Uh, she's moved over to this side. Well, she, we need to have her contact information. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she would be a good one. To have. She's she a, would, yeah. She's a, she's yeah. a, f- a fun person. And uh, yeah, so... Uh, uh, I didn't want to sell that house that had so many memories yeah. uh, to it, to the family. And so I let my son and uh, daughter-in-law move into it, and they could oh. take care of it and keep a room open for me. Oh, that's on the, nice. On the occasions I get to go back, about yeah. every two months I get to go back. But I had to establish residency in Olympia because the state treasurer by the Constitution must live in Olympia, and you have to oh. establish residency right away. And so I... Um, I did what a former state treasurer, just a couple treasurers, Mike Murphy, did, and I bought a boat. I bought a 40-foot um, boat, and I live on my boat. It's, I've been on it for three years now, mm-hmm. and I absolutely love it. It's, oh, how wonderful. It's a lot of fun. Well, I could keep talking with you about your, your family situation forever, but we do have some questions yes. about your your that pertain to your yeah. profession, and I want to make sure that we have enough time for those. Absolutely. Now, when we started this interview, I told you that I heard you speaking. I heard you interviewed on some radio station. I don't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. And you made a statement that shocked me because, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher the exact quote, but it had something to do with how deeply in debt the state of Washington is. We are. And I went, wow, how can we be in such lucrative times and seeing a a news article about more money going into the state than they even planned on, and the county too, I believe, how can we owe money? Well, then somebody else, my daughter, told me, well, mom, those bonds, those are all debt. And I went, okay, so I'm going to ask you about that. Are mm-hmm. we in debt? If so, is it legitimate debt? Is it something we should be concerned about? Just what is the fiscal state of Washington? Mm-hmm. No, we're very much in debt. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it is real debt. Uh, uh, it's mostly associated with uh, capital projects that we uh, do around the state. Uh, you know, our endeavors uh, uh, cost a lot of money to do. Uh, as one little quote I like to throw out there is that we like to make bridges float and we dig big <laughs> tunnels under uh, existing cities. Yeah. And those are very expensive propositions to do. I mean, those are, those are expensive projects. Debt has been incredibly cheap for a long time. The interest rates have been very low. Mm-hmm. And we have so much to do in the state, uh, mostly, you know, especially around uh, transportation, but mm-hmm. not to exclude like higher ed and, uh, um, and uh, uh, schools and other facilities that need to be built. Uh, but the general obligation debt, it's not the entire package of debt, but it's the most important. The general obligation debt of the debt of the state is uh, currently uh, approaching $22 billion. And so on a per capita basis, uh, that puts us uh, six highest in the nation. So we're ahead of a uh, good many uh, states when it comes to debt. We are... Uh, ahead in a bad way. Ahead in a bad way, yes. Yeah. We are uh, the sixth highest. And so uh, that concerns me some. Uh, it's uh, it's manageable. It has been done for good projects. And, and one of the good things about it is that uh, it's done with low interest rates. We recently faced a, a tax reform package that went through uh, Congress here a couple of years ago, where 
the opportunity to do advance refundings was being eliminated. Now, real quickly, to, uh, to explain what an advance refunding is, is that is to a government what refinancing your house would be to you. Okay. So if you take if you have the opportunity to refinance your house at a lower interest rate, you probably will if you could save some money doing it. So we can refinance the state. And so we can refinance <laughs> the state. But this uh, recent uh, uh, legislation that passed eliminated the state government, state and local governments the ability to do that. Kind of backfill some of the revenue shortfalls that the uh, that the that tax package created. So that alarmed me. I uh, don't like that. Matter of fact, I lobby our congressional delegation all the time to try to get that restored, but it's going to be a heavy lift. Um, so in the meantime, we knew that a deadline for uh, conducting those advance refundings was uh, looming. And my incredible debt team in the state treasurer's office that works solely on maintaining the state's, state's debt, making the payments and mm-hmm. keeping us in compliance with all the reporting, just a remarkable group of people that I have there. They came in, worked weekends, uh, the, uh, while that uh, December 31st deadline was approaching. They worked weekends and worked late at night to get every bit of debt that we could refinance, refinance that saved the state hundreds of millions of dollars. And so uh, that was a, uh, uh, it was a remarkable feat. I'm really proud of what they did in that regard. Since then, uh, um, because we keep things in good order here at the state, uh, recently our treasurer's office uh, received notification from uh, just a few months ago from uh, Moody's that in the first time in state history, from Moody's, we achieved a triple A bond rating. Which is the highest. It's the highest. Yeah. And that allows us to borrow money at a cheaper rate also. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but so that's the good future news is, debt. That's, that doesn't have anything to do with existing debt. Right. The, yeah. Right. Good point. And so uh, just recently, just a couple uh, days ago, we issued some uh, debt for the... Um, uh, for the state, and we were able to do so at a very favorable rate. One of the reasons why is because of that extremely good rating that mm-hmm. we have. But it does concern me, the yeah. um, the state debt, debt does, and I'd like to talk to you a little bit about some uh, things we're doing to try to address that. Well, let's do that, and we're going to take a little break first, mm-hmm. but when we come back, I want to know what we're doing to address it. And, you know, a couple of times I've been told, well, debt is good. To a certain extent, that is mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. It fuels growth and mm-hmm. change and all that kind of stuff. But at what point is it not good? So I'm going to ask you that when we come back. Good point. And I'm also going to ask you why it seems so different how governments manage their budgets compared to how I have to manage my budget at home. Mm-hmm. So okay. we're going to ask you those questions, but first we're going to take a break. Thank you for listening to Valley Talk. I'm Heather Stark, and I'm here with Washington State Treasurer Dwayne Davidson. Join us after this. Join us on Sundays at 6.30 to 7 p.m. with Planetary Radio. Planetary Radio's Matt Kaplan visits with a scientist, engineer, project manager, astronaut, advocate, or writer who provides a unique and exciting perspective on the exploration of our solar system and beyond. That's Sundays, 6.30 to 7 p.m., Planetary Radio on Valley 104.9. Immerse yourself in the worlds of community media, sound, podcasting, and audio on Radio Survivor. Airing on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7 p.m. here on Valley 104.9 FM. Thank you for joining us. I'm Heather Stark, your host. With me is State Treasurer Dwayne Davidson, and I'm learning so much about him. I'm. We talked during a break about his father writing some books, and we're going to talk about that, but that might even be a separate show. <laughs> right now, though, we're talking about our state debt. I know that when I have debt, I strive to eliminate it. Mm. Now, there's some debt that you can't eliminate easily, like a mortgage, and sometimes, I guess, with car payments and things. But it's kind of, we don't see debt as necessarily something favorable to have in our household budgets. Mm -hmm. And yet I've been told, I don't know whether it's correct or not, that a certain amount of debt for a government, especially like a state government or federal government, is not only not harmful, but that it's good for the economy. Is it? 
Well, uh, of course, you can have different philosophies on this. Uh, uh, I, I get where someone that could make that kind of assertion might be coming from, uh, especially if you're trying to, uh, um, like if you have a school construction and you hope to collect the money from the participants and that's too much, it's too big of a load for them to, uh, to, to, to handle that financing all by themselves over one period of time. You try to float that cost over time just like we do with our homes. Mm. We cannot afford to pay, most people can't, uh, a cash for a home, and so we need time to pay it off. So debt can be a very useful tool, and uh, and yes, as long as you're managing it properly, most, uh, most municipalities can handle a debt uh, pretty easily, and it can be a useful tool. However, you should never get to the point where you, where you are borrowing where something could possibly have been uh, cash flowed and actually paid for with cash. Uh, yes, there's different philosophies on that. I tend to be of the more conservative nature that think that uh, debt uh, uh, in a reduced amount is normally better for governments. It puts us in a better position to, um, to borrow in case a dire emergency comes up. Mm -hmm. If we have less debt on an everyday basis, if some giant calamity were to occur, like some major earthquake mm -hmm. or something of that kind of uh, 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 thing, it would allow us the capacity to borrow mm -hmm. uh, you know, a large amount of money at that time. So it went, it's not a good deal to um, basically operate the government anywhere near the capacity or debt capacity or, or even uh, come close to it. You'd like to Make mm -hmm. sure you have that uh, little bit of, uh, uh, you have that wiggle room and have that in case an emergency comes up. So but, are we at that point? No, we're not. We're, mm -hmm. we're, we're from that. But but we should be careful about issuing too much more debt in the future. I think that we're at a, a spot that we probably should try to not increase our standing uh, mm -hmm. any higher than six and, and actually try to work towards a uh, uh, ways to pay down some of our debt. We talk about this in uh, in great detail in something that would be available to your uh, to your listeners. But that if you go to the state treasurer's website, um, there is a debt affordability study, and I'm really proud of that document. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit dry because it's written by uh, uh, dry accountant type people, but uh, <laughs> but it actually does a deep analysis of the state's debt and is followed by some suggestions on what we think the state could do to help improve our situation. Uh, I know that a 25-page written report um, about s state debt might be a little bit too much for some people to handle, or they've got too many busy, uh, too busy a day to handle uh, to do that. And so uh, I heard that loud and clear. So <laughs> what we did is we produced what we call the debt digest, mm -hmm. which is a little one page uh, insert that you have there. Mm -hmm. uh, that's available on our website also. And what that is, is that's the highlights. That's a one page front and back mm -hmm. of the highlights that come from the debt affordability study that everybody can read over a cup of coffee. Very attractive, I, by the way. I really, it really, it really well, is attractive. It's, it's it's pleasant to look at. Thank you. I I, I try to. I, I believe that the you know the treasurer's position is a unique position in that it's elected position. I think that we have a great influence on policy, but we don't have a vote. We mm -hmm. we we don't vote on the you know that's up to the legislature to actually set the policy, and so the main uh, function of the treasurer's job is to um, compile good transparent records uh, uh, for the state mm -hmm. and also the information that should be uh, as non-biased as possibly can to uh, or just be non-biased uh, to uh, uh, the users of that information. Mm -hmm. That includes the taxpayers and to the legislature. I find it kind of unique, kind of interesting that the history of this state has the state treasurer as a partisan position and that we have yeah. to run on a party label. Um, there have been other positions where that has been taken away. And quite frankly, I don't understand why even the county treasurer, let alone the state treasurer, is uh, by a party affiliated because I have to run under the party label when I run for election. But as soon as the election's over, you try to be as nonpartisan as you can yeah. because I like to ha think that both sides of the aisle can trust the numbers mm -hmm. that are coming out of the uh of the uh, treasurer's office. I believe that we're there to pro provide transparency to the legislature and to the taxpayers. Mm -hmm. 
Let's talk a little bit about the Rainy Day Fund. Mm-hmm. Our governor has some plans for that Rainy Day Fund. Yes, he um, does. Is that a good idea? Or are you allowed to come right out and say whether or not it's a good idea? What no, would- no, I, I, I'll be contrary to that. What I... I uh, I like to make a joke that uh, you know in East it rained uh, what was it twelve inches or fifteen inches mm-hmm. in in January yeah. this one and uh, in Kennewick it rains on an average of uh, eight inches a year uh, it rains a lot here and I think that uh, naming it the Rainy Day Fund was a mistake because the people that live on this side of the mountain think that the uh, Rainy Day Fund means an <laughs> every time fund. it rains yeah <laughs> uh, it's not meant to be that way the Rainy Day Fund is uh, it has taken us through some uh, major issues in the past. It is uh, taking us through, uh, it was it was put in by the voters. Mm-hmm. It's an extremely good, it's technical name actually, is called the budget stabilization account. And that's exactly what it's there to do. And it is a great idea to uh, have that at a hefty balance. The uh, association, or I, I'm sorry, the uh, Government Accountants uh, Association, uh, recommends that the um, that the rainy day fund should have about two months of operating cash in it at all times. Mm-hmm. That's equal to about sixteen uh, percent of the uh, annual budget. Um, we, um, uh, uh, but more importantly. Is not just the rainy day fund, but the ending fund balance, the rolling fund balance should also have an adequate amount in it. So the two of those combined together can be viewed upon as your, uh, as your, uh, um, you know, safety fund, if you will, mm-hmm. safety net. Um, I really do not like how we've taken money out of that in the past. I believe that we could adequately, we should be adequately funding that above and beyond what recommended amounts are, mm-hmm. because. That's what's going to keep the government, the continuity of the government. You know, I don't think that we should be laying, you know, essential government workers and teachers and everybody else off okay. when there's a uh, when there's a calamity coming. You know, I'm not a communist. I'm just a treasurer. I don't know when that next recession's coming, but I know there's going to be one. Yes, that's 100 percent certain. Mm. And we're now ending one of the longest expansions of economic expansion periods Mm -hmm. that we've ever had. And this might not be very scientific, but I view recessions like earthquakes and the greater, the less the frequency, the greater the magnitude. And it's been a long time since we've had a recession and that means the next one may really be one to, uh, one to reckon a with. A whopper, yeah. And uh, we should be prepared to uh, to do that. Well, you know, one of the things that concerns me is I listen to the politicians, and I don't care whether it's like City of Seattle or State. Or, do none of them remember a recession? I mean, I never hear, it's like they just always think things are just going to keep going and going and going and going. Mm-hmm. And that surprises me. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and we, you know, we live in a uh, we live in a state that's dependent on uh, you know sales tax revenues, and that's mm-hmm. that's good and that's adequate and provides us ample resources to do our job. But in an economic downturn, things can get uh, bad quick, and a rainy day fund can get us through. Uh, yeah. The other function that the treasurer's office does, taking just a little bit of a sidestep, but uh, it has to deal with uh, uh, with. Uh, um, uh, uh, preparing for that downturn is that I chair the public deposit, public deposit protection commission. And what that does is, uh, they are the folks that oversee public deposits in any banks or credit unions throughout the state. That means the city of carnations Mm -hmm. deposits or any municipality that puts public monies into a finance institution. We monitor those finance institutions to make sure that they have adequate collateral to back that up in Mm -hmm. case there's a downturn. Because remember in 2009, we had several banks in this, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, state, uh, uh, went belly up and we made it through that. Uh, barely Mm -hmm. and we need to be well positioned to do that again and so that's yet another uh uh, Mm -hmm. that yet that's another way that uh uh, our office tries to take those precautions for economic downturns is is making sure that we have the collateralization uh uh, levels uh uh, where they need to be for public deposits and all of our banks people ask me the question as a state treasurer what keeps you up at night what if you're going to worry about something Mm -hmm. what is it 
that's the issue. It's the, it's the next big recession is what worries me the most, mm-hmm. mostly because I don't think we have adequately prepared for it. And I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I don't know the numbers, but just from public attitude and I mean, I, th- I really think that people do not understand that everything is cyclical. I think mm-hmm. they think it's absolutely linear, linear with a, you know, an upward trajectory. And we know from history that that's not the case. No. That upward trajectory changes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just mm-hmm. a question of when. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems to be a normal cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're not prepared for that, and I have concerns that our state is not prepared for that. I, I just, again, I'm no expert, but just from hearing politicians speak, and I'm thinking, do you, do you not even consider that this might be coming? Mm-hmm. Which brings me to my next question. Do you have an official advisory role for the politicians who are creating legislation or making decisions to spend money? what is your role? You've already said that it's to keep track of the data and to issue reports and educate people about the status of of our finances as a state. But surely the legislature and the governor look to you for advice when they're considering money questions and expenditures, do they? Well, unfortunately, politics can get in the way at times. But I do believe that's the treasurer's position does come with a uh, w- with the assumption that that's what it's an elected position for. That is why uh, why we have a treasurer, and uh, not only just myself, but my excellent staff. I guess I'm just um, how big? How many staff? Uh, sixty two. Wow, so sixty two people, and they uh, I have some real uh, uh, good people uh, that are very very smart uh, in uh, finances and all their various. Uh, uh, there's the debt team and there is the investment team because investments, maintaining the state's investments is an important job. Not only the state's investments, but uh, local government's investments like the city of Carnation, the uh, King County, uh, uh, Benton County, city of Kennewick, any municipality out there, their excess cash balances, if you will, their checking account balances, for the most part, their fluid cash is, ke- uh, uh, is kept in what we call the local government investment pool. And that, I think, is currently, that's right around $17 billion. And uh, that's a function of the state treasurer's office to, uh, to maintain uh, those funds and keep those in a, a uh, you know, uh, in safe investments so that we don't lose the money. Mm-hmm. It, uh, and it's also available to those entities if they need it and mm-hmm. they can uh, draw it out just uh, with a day's notice. And so, so, uh, uh, so you're kind of, that's kind of like the bank for right, the, for all the municipalities, yeah. but back to your advisory uh, question, I kind of uh, strayed from that a little bit. Uh, yes, the treasures, I, th- I think does carry some weight. Uh, that's why we, uh, produce the reports we do. Uh, uh, I've been trying to make the office as transparent as we possibly can. I believe that that's one of the uh, fundamental obligations of the treasurer's office is to uh, uh, is to provide that financial uh, information uh, to policy setters and to the taxpayers. And so it's my uh, it's my great desire to bring transparency to the office like we've never had it before and try to mm-hmm. produce the kind of reports that people can understand. And you can see through the examples of the uh, uh, of the debt affordability study and things, I have a great desire to, uh, to do that. Plus, uh, the treasurer also sits on various advisory commissions and, and uh, there's uh, uh, numerous ones. I sit on the pension board. Um, that oversees uh, all 17 of our pension funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are assets of about 140 billion. Uh, and I said billion, not million. That yeah. over that uh, ensure that all of our school teachers, police officers, uh, government workers from uh, uh, local governments and state government, their future pension funds of uh, PERS and TERS and left and, uh, and sort of all the various mm-hmm. uh, uh, pension funds out there. Are um, are well secured. So, um, numerous boards, being the uh, uh, the financial usually um, uh, a- expert on those various ones. State Housing Finance uh, mm-hmm. Commission is yet another one, uh, which are all uh, which are all really important. And we usually look at it from the standpoint of the steward of state finances mm-hmm. when we're on those commissions. Well, I must say, I have I never recall a state treasurer being as visible 
and um, I've heard several interviews with you. I've seen many things that you, your office has produced, and oh, I you. don't recall a previous state treasurer doing that. Um, well, I'm so, trying. Yeah, so yay on that. Um, the other thing is that when they appoint me queen, and I'm expecting that to be momentarily. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would require that every time just before a bill is passed, that it be run past the state treasurer's office <laughs> oh boy, I like to that see kind of if power. it was advisable <laughs> yeah. from a fiscal standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of legislation is passed without any concern whatsoever about the costs or the long-term impact of that legislation. So relax, because any time now they're going to give me my scepter and my crown, oh, wow. and I will make that a rule. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> okay. Okay. But it makes sense to me. If you if if the legislature creates legislation that spends the people's money, then it seems to me a huge component of that is getting the advice about whether that's reasonable or um, you know advisable. Well, in all that. fairness, they do, we do have a thing called the fiscal note process, and we even produce some of them in the treasurer's office. That legislation. Wait a minute, does, are you telling me I don't need my crown and scepter anymore? <laughs> well, you could take it to the next level. Oh, okay, okay. okay. So we we do we do have a, a a fiscal note process that does require things that does have a budgetary impact. That there is a fiscal note attached to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the process probably could be. Uh, uh, I but think that, it works that well, has but to do with uh, to let people know approximately what this will cost. Right. But it doesn't really have anything to do with long term impact, does it? Well, sometimes they look at it in that nature. But if systems, I'm not picking on any of the people that actually do the fiscal notes now because even mm-hmm. the treasurer's office does some of them. But you're right. The process probably could be made even better. Yeah. Uh, you know, part of the problem is that the legislative session is, uh, uh, you know, short. We got a lot of things to do and these bills get dropped. And sometimes there's just not much time to prepare these fiscal notes mm-hmm. that should really have a lot of thought process put into them got brilliant people working on them but sometimes the workload is just incredible so uh, yeah yeah. although i must say every time somebody suggests that maybe we have a longer legislative session i quake in my boots oh no no i not i hope that nobody interpreted my comments you know i i like i like a part-time legislature and i like i keep thinking of all the damage i could do if they had even more time (laughs) at one time i think in the state we actually they only met once every two years yeah and then they got i vote for that yeah i think there's a couple States that still do that. Yeah, Montana, well, I think, is. But, but I'm yeah. a I'm I'm a luddite, and uh, you know, so, you know, I'm sure my views are not popular on that. A lot of conversation about uh, long term care. One of the things that I found in doing some research for our interview is that the way you talk about managing the state's finances doesn't just stop with the state. You're advising and you're talking and you're trying to educate people about how they can manage their own finances and their own savings. And I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Your office came out with a series of uh, online learning modules, Mm -hmm. and I've uh, seen a couple of those. And I'm really excited about some of that. I'm excited about how you're not just staying in some ivory tower. You're coming out to where we all live and give us giving us some advice and some guidance as well. So I wanted to ask you why you're doing that. And then when we come back from a break, I'll ask you how and what ways you're doing that. Okay. So, so why did you decide to take this, uh, this tact of, because um, again, I don't remember any state treasurer doing that. I believe that financial uh, literacy just is, uh, is, is so important. It's uh, just an important aspect if we can get, uh, uh, you know, our uh, 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 younger population, just everybody, just provide them the information that they need to make a, a, a proper uh, uh, decisions about their financial health uh, 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 long term. Uh, uh, I am the state treasurer after all, and the health of the state is, uh, the financial health of the state is, uh, is a primary concern of mine, and that includes uh, the taxpayers. Mm-hmm. And if we can provide uh, uh, folks with that kind of information, why not? We have a perfect vehicle. It's one of those things that seem to be kind of a natural fit into the treasurer's office, and it's kind of fun because I like to see, there's a, there's a big void, and we're starting to fill some of that void, and that 
that uh, uh, some of the stuff we do is dry, but not this. The financial mm-hmm. literacy part of it yeah. is something that's bringing a lot of uh, joy to my heart. Yeah, good. Mm-hmm. Well, good. I'm, I'm and I want to talk more about how you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Some of the lo- lo- online you. modules and that kind of thing. But first, we're going to take a little break and we're going to uh, make some announcements, and then we're kind of come back okay. and we will uh, visit a- more on Valley Talk with our state treasurer, Dwayne Davidson. <laughs> Remember to join us at 1 p.m. on Sunday for Animal Radio. Animal Radio is America's most listened to pet show. The nearly two-hour celebration of our pets is hosted by veterinaire talent Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. So tune in 1 p.m. Sunday, Animal Radio. Radio Survivor is our weekly show where we feature stories and interviews on community radio, radio history, podcasting, Low Power FM, College Radio, and more. Radio Survive on Valley 104.9 FM, 6 to 7 p.m. on Wednesday nights. Welcome back to Valley Talk. I'm here with our state treasurer, Dwayne Davidson, who has graciously come to our Carnation Studios. And we learned earlier about his connection to this area, and uh, we're learning now more about his connection dedication to not just managing state funds, but also educating and creating fiscal awareness for all of us as the taxpayers. You know, it's I always like it when I talk with somebody in government office who actually mentions taxpayers mm-hmm. <laughs> as something mm-hmm. other than a funding source. Right. Um, <laughs> so I appreciate that. So what we were talking about, and let's move to this, you have a particular interest in long-term care. And since I'm barely older than a teenager, I, of course, have no interest in that whatsoever. However... <laughs> <laughs> I would like to know why the focus on long-term care. What, why, why do you think people need to save more and be educated on that particular thing? Well, we're living longer. The population is starting to live longer. And and when we see uh, like uh, some countries like Japan that has really, you know, um, uh, uh, struggled of coming out of recession for years and years and years. One of the contributing factors to that, that most of the learned people will tell you is that they have a median age that's increasing to such a, a, a high degree. Also uh, countries in Europe that have extremely low birth rate. Uh, uh, one of the downsides of that is that when you increase the size of the of the retired population and you have fewer people paying into it, um, it, the whole system kind of collapses on itself because, because we just don't have, um, you know, uh, to, to go around. So the pyramid think, scheme, yeah, it's the yeah, pyramid scheme. Well, yeah. you said it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, so, you know, it's really important that we just try to take as many steps as we can to uh, make sure that we are uh, well positioned for our retirement uh, age, uh, and uh, and everybody can try to do a little bit uh, to do that. And I think it's a, when people have that self sufficiency and are less dependent on other kind of programs, we all uh, benefit from it. So, uh, of course, some calamities come by that are totally out of people's control. That you know that. Uh, um, that they, they, of course, need help with. But uh, if we can take steps that help people um, uh, get off the, the right foot and stay there uh, through their life, I think that that's an important to do. So we developed this uh, financial literacy. Uh, one of the functions is the treasurer sits on the FEP board, which is a financial education uh, public-private partnership. And they're just a wonderful organization. Did you just call that the FEP board? Yeah. Did they think thoroughly before <laughs> they came up with that? Uh, yeah, well, that's what they call it. And, <laughs> okay. And and it's a uh, it's a uh, uh, it's a collection of uh, uh, educators and, and finance institutions, uh, credit unions, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like I said, uh, private and public, they uh, is together to uh, help uh, financial literacy be uh, resources in the school systems around the state. That is a lot of fun. Uh, we take uh, uh, um, we take a very active role in the in that uh, organization. But then, um, I'm going to ask you a question. When my kids were in school, 
they one of the local banks came in and gave them little mm-hmm. little savings things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, do they still do those things uh, in school? That's the trouble. It's just not consistent when you go around the state. And that's what we're looking for is we're trying to get something that's a little bit more to where we know it's happening in all school districts and it's happening on a you know more uniform basis. That's what that's what I'd like to uh, there's some of us that like to actually like to see this as part of the approved curriculum, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of financial education because a lot of times this was done through the um, uh, the econ classes and stuff mm-hmm. like home economic classes and things that we all had to Which take. Which nobody takes anymore. Right, and they're disappearing. They're <laughs> yeah. disappearing from yeah. some of the schools, and so this is concern to a lot of people. And so, I'm okay. Uh, I'm going to interrupt here with mm-hmm. a totally useless personal story, but that's just how I am. No, um, uh, when, when <laughs> I got criticism for this, when my son was about eight years old, mm-hmm. we were walking through a grocery store, and he looked down and saw a folded up, little tiny folded up twenty dollar bill. He picks it up, opens it up, whoa, $20. Well, one year, seven or eight, $20 is big money, or at least it was when my kid was seven or eight. And I said, and he said, look what I found, look what I found. And I said, yes, you found it, and this is what we do when you find something. You give it to the lost and found. And he kind of stuck out his lower lip and said, no, but I want it. And I said, think about it. Somebody who would fold up their $20 like that is probably somebody who didn't have a lot of $20. Mm-hmm. And if you lost a $20 bill, wouldn't you go back and hope somebody turned it mm-hmm. in? So we took it to the grocery store manager who said that he could come back and my son could come back in a month. And if nobody came and asked for it, that it would be then his. So we waited the month. We went back. Nobody had claimed it. So the grocery store manager gave my son the $20. And I said, okay, this is what you do. You get to spend 25%. You get to save 25%. And you get to share 25%. And then the other 25%, we're just going to keep on hand for a while in case something comes up. And he chose a charity. I told him to choose any charity he wanted, and he chose Goodwill. And so we took our little coins and things, and we went down to the Goodwill and gave it to them. I received so much criticism over that when I was raising my son. Oh, wow. How horrible of a person I was to not <laughs> let this kid just find the 20 bucks and pocket it. Mm-hmm. What? I thought I was teaching him to be fiscally responsible. You were. Give me some props here. <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> no, no, you were. No, that's a good, uh, to, to put those parameters to say, here's your allowance, you put so much here, and you put, those are, those are really good lessons to, yeah. uh, those are really good lessons to learn. Well, I, as I said, my one daughter's a CPA, so I must have done something right. Yes, you must have. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, okay. Well, I had to share that with you because I didn't. No, think I enjoyed that. I didn't yeah. think you'd criticize me for that one. So no, that actually, was a, that was a shame. A little bit of praise about that. Yeah. <laughs> so we so we had the opportunity to uh, we had kind of a little bit of budget savings. We closed the Seattle office that was underutilized, and we had a little bit of budget appropriation left. And so I hired uh, I hired a uh, financial literacy uh, person. Uh, they just did a tremendous job of getting the office uh, uh, into this kind of like self-created a little department. And now she's advanced up the office to a, a more senior advisory role, but we've hired uh, uh, her replacement and uh, we're really excited about the things that we're doing. Uh, we, we stay involved at this statewide, uh, you know, involvement in these various uh, uh, on committees and stuff that are trying to take a, a big, a holistic approach to this. But what we're trying to do to make sure that we have an impact today is we've developed these modules and I'd like to talk about those just for a moment. Mm-hmm. There are 45 modules that's on our website. Yes. They're both in English and in Spanish, and they deal with things that uh, would be of interest to someone that's a little bit younger. Uh, all the way to someone that is nearing retirement. Uh, there are There's something in there for everybody, and we are expanding them at all times. We I would even like to uh, um, get a, get them available in, a, in an additional language someday, mm-hmm. uh, but expand the uh, topics. We're looking for suggestions. So, mm-hmm. uh, so listeners, if you uh, if you go on there and you see one topic that you would really like to uh, uh, see, uh, it will be easy to find contact information on the website and shoot us an email so that we can uh, work about trying to develop that type of a program. 
You can reach us here. Email us here. Uh, you can email me at heather heather.stark at valley1049.org, and I'll forward them to you. Because um, we are looking, I mean, we always uh, yes. ask for uh, listener input. Um one of the things that I would wonder about with these modules is, are they, they're obviously available to schools for free, but are you aware of any schools that are actually using them? Oh, yes, we are. Uh-huh. And in fact, uh, 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 I've had several school teachers tell me that they're using our website, and I've had a, a several homeschoolers tell me ah. that they are uh, viewing. And to be quite frank with you, we didn't see that on the radar when we were developing this. Really? We have one in the mind, but then when the homeschoolers came up there, I said, yeah, that. It's kind of natural. They, mm-hmm. I could kind of see that happening, but we didn't really think about that at the time. But I'm really delighted that, uh, uh, you know, there's always like unattended things happen, sometimes yeah. unattended consequences, sometimes unintended, uh, yeah. you know. Sometimes uh, the unintended consequences uh, are good ones. They're good ones. And, yeah. and this and this particular one uh, is, is great delight that people are, uh, we know by the traffic, mm-hmm. that people are uh, uh, frequenting and looking at. And then in addition, we're also looking at putting some um, resources out in the community, mostly from just trying to network mm-hmm. uh, um, people together that might actually take needs mm-hmm. and resources and get them married together in uh, uh, in areas of financial literacy. And one that is of a particular interest of mine, and I have a staff person that that, that is taking up this charge and she's very excited about being able to do this, we do know that one of the reasons why some uh, people stay in a very um, bad domestic situation is a lot of times the threat of future violence or you know mm-hmm. uh, problems. Another is that it is the financial element of it. Yeah. They can't. Mm-hmm. They can't. Get, they don't have the resources to get out, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that's financial literacy, right? That's that's right. that's part of financial education. That is a very vulnerable population that needs help. That's not going to get it through what we're doing in the school system. That's mm-hmm. not going to get it through these other measures. We've identified that as a very real need uh, that's came to us by personal requests from a few individuals. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I read them, it was a little bit... Uh, you know, heartfelt response like, yes, this is this is almost like what our calling is because it just kind of fell on our lap. And so we're looking to try to um, uh, have uh, um, venues into that uh, field and having some great success in building that that might get um, those people referred you're speaking my language now because I, I have worked for many years in domestic violence issues. And as a matter of fact, one of my master's degrees is an MPA with a focus on gendered violence. And you are absolutely preaching to oh, the ab- choir here. I, there, so many. Uh, there's a study after study. I, there's a, a fairly recent study uh, from the East Coast that, uh, no, actually, I think they participated out here as well. And um, it was a study on how men who were in jail, and I say men because that's the bulk of the abusers, and uh, not that men can't be abused too, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. the bulk of it is Mm -hmm. male against female, and uh, these men in jail, and they recorded their telephone calls, because of course they record phone calls when you're calling from jail, and someone did a study of the manipulation, financial manipulation of the victim when that perpetrator calls them. Mm Mm-hmm. That, you know, oh, I hate to see you have to move with the kids. I hate to, you know, because if you keep prosecuting me, if I'm prosecuted, right. then you're not going to have that money. Right. Da, 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 da. I mean, it is such a huge issue in domestic violence cases. Um, and sometimes women, well, most times women never recover financially. And it's minimized, I think, by people who do the just why doesn't she just leave thing because they don't understand the impact of that. But especially when you have children, money is important. It's very important. You you need to make the opportunity available to them so that they can just leave because well, exactly. they literally just can't. And so yeah. by uh, having well, and if and if they leave in an emergency situation, they're leaving without financial records. What do you do with the IRS if you don't have any records and you don't have them available? And it's so many issues. So right. I'm just delighted that your office is looking into that. And uh, it it's 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 a uh, uh, it's a huge need. 
Absolutely. It's it's, it's growing. It's, it exists in several different, like mm-hmm. you, you, you talked about people that are uh, in relationships with incarcerated. Mm-hmm. There's also sometimes that, uh, 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 once again, uh, this probably is not limited to only this, but bulk, a good share of them are women mm-hmm. that are uh, from, uh, that are married to some of our servicemen that are from other countries and then they're brought here and then they uh in short order are divorced and now they don't even know how to and and so one of the uh one of the people that brought this to my attention was one of our foreign uh uh country embassies Mm -hmm. who uh who they came and said do you know we have this real problem that we have these people that are uh we have these women are Mm -hmm. coming to our uh, uh, embassy they're basically saying uh, they're just trying to find a way back home mm-hmm. and they're being uh, you know we're a community property state they had no understanding about the financial situation that they're in mm-hmm. and now uh, the credit companies are telling them they, they owe for half mm-hmm. of the debt yeah. that they didn't even know that they had well and, and so they could owe even more because even if you're divorced Credit companies and tuition collectors and all—they don't care whether the court says you pay a third or a half or whatever. They don't care. Right? They—you're responsible for 100, percent and they can go try and collect 100 percent from you. Um, so it puts people in a very difficult situation. So we have this huge need out there. Mm-hmm. We have these resources that are available that people are offering services pro bono. Banks are offering through Bank On and other type of programs. Uh, uh, you know, a a, a cheap uh, 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 bank account that they can open to start establishing some, you know, mm-hmm. private savings or something like that. Uh, you got advice about, like you said, about what you'd make need to make sure that you have mm-hmm. to take with you because you're going to need it sometime. You just can't just get in the, you know, you, there's, there's precautions that need to be made. There's, uh, there's steps that can be done that, that will give you the reassurance that yes, I can get out of this situation. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and we just need to get them those kind of resources that they can see the light and say, no, it, it is better mm-hmm. to leave and get out of the situation before someone is drastically hurt or so. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. Very interesting. I have one other question that I want to make sure we have time for. And okay. as you met Maddie, for our reporter from the Woodenville Weekly, who's joining us here today, mm-hmm. um, she had a question that I think is a very legitimate one, which is, what advice does your office have for young people, whether it be... F- you know, fiscal as far as politics are concerned or as far as their personal lives or, mm-hmm. um, you know, these young people are getting out of school. They're trying to find jobs. Uh, my my children keep telling me how, you know, it's harder for them to afford a house or whatever than it was for my generation. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I keep saying, well, it wasn't that easy for my generation either. Um, but what advice do you have for young people now? Uh, okay. What do they need to be aware of as they navigate into full adulthood? Okay. After the break. Go. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yes. Uh, the one advice I tell, and it sounds really simplistic, but it's really, it really can be rather complex, is the number one thing we should all do is just save more. Regardless of your income stream, regardless, just like you that $20 bill example that you mm-hmm. used just a little bit ago, every income stream, people say, I can't afford it. That's always the excuse. So there, if a certain amount should always be put off to the side for the rainy day, the actual rainy day, or the opportunity. Because one of the biggest uh, dilemmas is there's some really good opportunities that come our way in our lifetime, and we don't have the ability to respond to that. That really good deal or that opportunity that we could buy in to, you know, a house that's coming down through the family through some, but we need this much money down. Just as important as a calamity that might come that we need the money, having that money to be able to take the seize the opportunity that comes our way is, is uh, most people don't have that. And they do come in everybody's life 
we have certain circumstances where you just, if you had a little nest egg mm-hmm. and had that uh, uh, that ability to act on that quick without borrowing the money to do it, it could really pay off in the future. So it sounds simplistic. There is no magic formula because it is it can be different for all of us. We have different jobs. We have different medical histories. We have and different, different levels of, of income and yeah, money different levels of yeah. income. We have different, uh, you know, need different. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 we all have such separate lives mm-hmm. that you really can't come up with a standard rule of thumb mm-hmm. because when you do, that just is like uh, uh, that's just going to make people frustrated yeah. and want to give up. But we can all save more, and I think that mm-hmm. that because right now people practically don't save at all. And we know that for a fact. You know, I, I go back to the egg money thing. Remember back mm-hmm. at the turn of the 20th century where all the women had their egg money? Mm-hmm. And I've been through some tight times, you know, mm-hmm. where there wasn't a lot of play in the budget. Mm-hmm. But even if it was spare change, even if it was 10 bucks, right. I put it in my glass cookie jar in right. my den. And there's been a couple of times where I've had 100 bucks in there that I used to pay for a car repair or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always took it first. I took it off the top. Because if you pay all of your bills, then you're thinking, oh, this, I don't have enough left. Da, da, da. But if you put it in the cookie jar first, right. you know, then it's amazing how you can pay those bills and get in them the over. future. Yep. We, I can't believe an hour has gone by. Thank you. I hope you'll come back. Washington right, State Treasurer, Dwayne Davidson. He's enlightened me and he's given me props for how I raised my kids. So, you know, yay. <laughs> and thank you for listening. We'll be here again Tuesday and we'll be here on Sunday for Valley Talk right here on Valley 104.9 FM. <laughs> 